Hey everybody, just wanted to take a few seconds of your time before the podcast starts. Just wanted to let you know about a passion project of mine for the last three years called Hustle Focused Energy. It's a powder drink mix intended to help you focus and accomplish your goals. Super excited to bring this to market. Go check it out, hustletheday.com. And thank you so much for listening. On this episode of the Hustle the Day podcast, I am fortunate to be joined by Joseph Reese. Joe has been involved in data science for pretty much his entire career, long before it was considered to be a cool career, but he stuck with it and is doing some great things now. You're going to want to listen to this one. Let's jump into it. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Hustle of the Day podcast. My name is Trent. Super excited to have Joe Reese here. Joe, why don't you jump in here? Tell us a little bit about yourself and a little bit of your background. Yeah, uh, I'm Joe Reese. Um, I am a self-proclaimed recovering data scientist. Uh, I've been in the data space for let's see, close to 20 years now. So, and yeah, I think my career path has um, always revolved around things like analytics, data, data science, and now. Uh, data engineering, data architecture. So basically all things data, uh, it's kind of been my shtick for quite a while. So, Okay. So how is it that you got into data or figured out that that was something that you like doing? Uh, I think it was back when I was uh, in uh, university back in the um, kind of late 90s, early 2000s. I had uh, switched into uh, studying for a math degree. And at that time, your options for a career were to be an actuary, which was my original path, which I decided not to pursue. I guess you could go work for the government or you can go into uh, analytics, right? So um, I decided to get a job uh, doing analytics um, for a company and, you know, started doing uh, sales, marketing, and then into like, operations, financial type analytics, kind of got a whole um, gamut of, uh, you know, experience in that regard. And I guess, yeah, it's just, it's just a field that I've always liked uh, for some strange reason. I don't know why. So I uh, just, just wired a certain way, I guess. So. Yeah. Well, you've, we talked prior to this about, uh, you know, data hasn't always been, you know, the exciting field that it was. What was it like, you know, in the, at more or less the forefront of the, the data space doing those analytics and things like that uh, versus what it is now? Yeah, I would say if you, if you've ever watched um, like Office Space, the uh, the old movies. Yeah. So there was a uh, actually I got a, there was a guy who had a red stapler, uh, yeah. Milton, I think is his name. Yeah, and they, they basically like forced him to go work in the basement. And so that was um, <laughs> that, that's kind of where I think a lot of the uh, data nerds were, uh, you know, sort of tucked away in, in the back of an office or or something like that. I mean, I was fortunate to, to work directly with uh, executives from day one. So it's a, you know, a bit lucky in that regard, but I think a lot of data people were, you know, just like the uh, character in office space just sort of shuttled off to the basement and left to kind of drink Red Bulls and languish on their own. So <laughs> data wasn't the sexy thing then. Like, you know, I remember I was called like the, the, um, the numbers guy and, you know, those sorts of things. So it was, um, you know, if, if you look now, I would, I would say like it started, data started becoming a hot field around, 
maybe the early 2010s and by the mid 2010s, like around 2015 uh, and, and on it, uh, data science, which is a term kind of popularized in the late 2000s, but it was, that became a, definitely the big thing. And everyone wanted to be a data scientist. I think in 2012, um, there was an article written about, how, you know, data's new oil. And like, I think it was then anyway, like, a couple articles came out. I think it was the economist data's new oil. And then Harvard called data science, the sexiest job of the 21st century. And after that, everyone wanted, wanted to jump in. Uh, and now it's almost the opposite where, uh, you know, data is the hot thing. I would say it's almost too hot in a lot of ways. Um, we can get into that in a bit. So it's just, yeah, it's just how hype cycles work, I guess. Right. Yeah. So. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, I, I think, uh, you know, I realized the importance of data a, a little bit sooner than, you know, maybe the rest of the world caught on just from doing web development and, you know, analytics are very important. You got to see where, you know, people are coming from and, you know, their, their trends and their patterns and things like that. But um, obviously it has taken on to a whole new machine, a whole new uh, thing that it is, is um, really impressive what you can figure out with data science. And um, a lot of companies base themselves on that science that you help create. Yeah. And I would say too, the, um, you know, if you start if you start looking at the types of things you can do with data, uh, I mean, traditionally it's been on data that you can get from databases. Um, so it's structured data, it's rows, columns, and uh, but then, then there's there's newer avenues you could take. I would say newer because there's recently been techniques. I would say in the last 10, 20 years that have allowed you to do things like image analysis, uh, recognition, um, doing the same thing with video, audio. Uh, you know, natural, natural language processing is another big area where you can now do stuff with text that you weren't able to do. And a lot of this was driven by a couple of factors. You had uh, the advent of like cloud computing, especially I would say computing in general, right? So uh, it just got cheaper and more available in the cloud. Now you can just rent space as well as the advent of, um, you know, GPUs, uh, graphical processing units. So that allows you to do kind of the lower level, like linear algebra you need to do to, to, uh, perform massive amounts of computations and large amounts of data very quickly. Uh, you know, so the advent of all of those things, uh, and GPUs actually came, came out by accident through like video games and it's better mm -hmm. consoles. And so, you know, it, it's, it's interesting seeing how like serendipitous everything is. And that sort of ushered in the, the modern era of AI where now you're able to do deep learning. And that's definitely, uh, you know, changed data, uh, especially at scale from where it used to be. You used to be able to do data science, maybe on like very small amounts of data, but now it's quite massive. And, um, you know, even recently with advents like a uh, GPT-3, which is like the new, um, uh, from open AI, it's a way of just looking at, uh, it can look at bodies of text and then basically finish that body of text uh, in a pretty coherent way. Like that's, you know, new advents, uh, and I would say new um, uh, releases of stuff like that on, pretty frequent basis are pretty exciting. So, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. That, that is very exciting that, you know, there's all these things they're developing. Where do you see kind of the future of data heading? Um, surprisingly, I, 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 I actually see in the near term, I think there's going to be a backlash against data science. Um, we can get into that in a second. Uh, and, and I actually think you're going to see the rise of um, things like data engineering and machine learning engineering and, and 
and this is, speaks to sort of my experience, um, you know, especially with the company I recently started where because there was a, a lot of attention on stuff like machine learning and AI, there's a lot of people getting into it. And then, but most people are doing the work on their laptops or their computers, you know, it's not production worthy for like maybe a business where you need to get value from these, uh, um, you know, these algorithms and their output and the models and so forth. And, you know, what, and so what, I, what I'm starting to see is like uh, companies sort of going back to the drawing board and building robust architectures to support things like mm -hmm. uh, AI and machine learning. And so I think there's going to be sort of a, a rewind in that regard. At the same time, there's, you know, uh, I think the AI world, the data science world is going to be sort of split into um, people who are working on algorithms. Uh, you know, that's more of a research capacity. Uh, and then, uh, basically either analytics or engineering. And, and I, I think I, I see the world uh, sort of uh, splitting apart. My, my prediction is that the term data science, it's kind of fuzzy and I think it's also going to go away. That's my prediction. So okay. that's where I see things going. But long-term, uh, you know, long-term, if you zoom, if you, if you kind of fast forward 10 years, uh, uh, AI is uh, prevalent everywhere. It's going to be as ubiquitous as um, electricity or internet. Like it reminds me of the 90s where, uh, when I got, I think I got my first internet account in 92 or something like that. So it was before even the web browser. And back then, mm -hmm. you know, you called it like, you know, the, the internet or bulletin board services or, um, that sort of thing. And it was, it was still had like this novelty to it, but you fast forward to now and it's like the internet, you, you, who says like, Oh, like we're going to get on the worldwide web or something like that. Like, it's just like, nobody says that or nobody like gets fascinated when they turn on their light. Right. Like, cause it's. Like oh, there's electricity flowing through it. Let's let's um, you know look at how remarkable this is. Like it's just something you take for granted. And AI is the same way. I mean, it kind of already is. Like your phone. I mean, for example, right? Like that has mm -hmm. um, you know a lot of uh, AI already built into it. So, but it's only going to keep growing. Yeah, so. absolutely. I I had a uh, a point where I was offended with my phone, where I hopped in the car at a certain time and plugged in the car and it says, Oh, I think you're going in here. Would you like me to give you directions? And it's, you know, some fast food restaurant I hadn't been in, been to in a long time. I'm like, what are you doing phone? Like, <laughs> don't make me look That's bad hilarious. to myself. But uh, yeah, I, I understand it is, it is definitely something that I think is more a part of our lives than a lot of the general public realizes. Um, but is that kind of speaking more towards your idea of the, the near-term backlash against data science? Is people afraid of that transition or is it uh, something else entirely? Um, there's, there's a few aspects to that. I, I think that there is a backlash against the, there's continue, continuing to be a backlash against um, uh, what people perceive as, uh, and I think rightfully so, of uh, invasions of privacy, for example. I think that's a big one. Um, you know, you can contrast it with maybe how other countries use AI. Like for example, China, I, I would say that they're using that on AI on a massive scale and data collection on a massive scale that um, may not reflect, you know, the values in the West, for example, right? If you were to have a complete dragging out of like everything you ever did in your entire life, I think the Atlantic actually had a really good article on this just over the weekend um, where it was, yeah, it was something like the AI uh, Panopticon is already here or something like that. But you know, the point being that China has developed a system where they can take basically any data point that you do 
anything you do, and that's traced permanently. And you can build algorithms on top of that to basically determine if you're acting according to what the society wants you to do, or maybe what it doesn't want you to do, and then scoring you accordingly. So I think that's one version of where the future could go. I, you know, but I, I think that part of the backlash right now is um, it's a bit different in China. You don't see a backlash, but here you're starting to see a backlash uh, against social media, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, your data, uh, as the old saying goes, if, if you're not paying for the product, then you are the product. And mm-hmm. that's, uh, I would say, um, becoming more top of mind with people to the point where you're starting to see backlashes against using apps, right? Um, or in some cases, outright banning of apps like TikTok. Uh, that's that's the kind of the rage this week and last week. So, but the, the so there's one thread where you have the uh, I would say AI might you may come kind of you know, maybe a bit of a, a rebounding effect in that sense uh, with the privacy and and um, you know that that aspect. But the other part of it is just is just really damn hard to do. Um, like to do it effectively at the scale that a company like Google or Netflix does it, for example, is, I mean, it requires tremendous resources that not a lot of companies have. And so I think there's sort of this, um, uh, you know, there's a lot of buzz that, oh, you can just do AI and you'll get magical results. But when you start actually trying to implement this in a company from scratch, especially, you know, you, you run into, um, I would say, uh, nine times out of 10, you're going to have uh, problems getting started because you need data. Um, your applications need to be sort of, uh, they need to they need to be able to feed into whatever AI process or ML process that you want. It just isn't like you flip the switch into AI and things start happening. So it's it's right. a lot of work and I'd say a lot of thought behind it. And you also have to have a reason to use it, right? So I think it, the other thing I see is like companies will try and do machine learning or data science or whatever. They'll hire a team of data scientists and they haven't really figured out the problem that they're trying to solve. So and then these very smart, overqualified people are left just sort of sitting there twiddling their thumbs or um, looking for other jobs. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, understandable. So the question is, uh, going back a little bit, does, did you have a personal experience with that? Or what is it that led you to start your own company w- around data? Yeah, I, I would say like, you know, I've done consulting around data on and off for quite a while. Um, and when I got you know, I think around 2012, I was uh, helping, a, I was working on a company, we're doing um, probably some of the first attempts at like automated machine learning. Uh, and that was, the the problems I saw with that are still the problems I see today with, uh, with automated machine learning. So that is basically when I have like a, maybe a CSV file and I want to, um, you know, and it has a bunch of columns, what they call features, and I want to predict an outcome, right, uh, based upon this data set. The central challenges uh, back then are still the challenges that I see today, which is that the the math behind the algorithms part is actually really simple relative to actually making the data set to begin with. If you don't get the data set correct, it's nothing else really matters because it's just garbage in and garbage out. Like machine learning is just glorified pattern recognition at the end of the day, nothing more, nothing less. And so if you feed a, a data set that produces a certain pattern, you'll get a certain outcome. And if, but at the end of the day, what I realized is, uh, you know, that, that, that approach to the problem, I think, highlighted a few things for me where it was data infrastructure, architecture, um, and just better data processes are, I think, key to succeeding um, in either analytics or machine learning. It doesn't matter. It's just sort of the table stakes. 
but I didn't see a lot of companies focusing on the table stakes. And when gotcha. I wanted to start Ternary Data, um, which is a company I'm um, running now, you know, it was, I think a lot of my friends in data, especially data scientists, actually thought we were absolutely lunatics because like, well, why don't you focus on data science? This is obviously where everyone else is heading. So you guys are taking a very contrarian bet in this market. And um, I would say you fast forward you know, a year and a half, two years to today. And um, I mean, I, I think we're, uh, our, our assumptions were validated. So that's good. So I think that's one thing that uh, not a lot of entrepreneurs necessarily believe is they, you know, they want to chase something that is the the trending topic or the the hot thing right now. And you went against that because you saw the future, you saw the belief. And a lot of people I know personally would either have been in that situation and have doubted themselves and didn't pursue it, or they, you know, they kept going and saw the successes. And obviously that you're headed towards that path. Um, what is it that makes you go against the grain? Like, I mean, it's so hard for a lot of people to turn off the outside noise and say, you know, what, I trust my instincts. I trust in this. Let's keep moving forward with it. I think, you know, for, for, for us, it was, I think just, a, if you're in the trenches working on a problem long enough, um, you, you start seeing the challenges around that problem. But it, it takes, I think, you know, it's, well, let me invert the question and say, like, if, if you were to, um, if you take the, the approach that we described, where you're, you're just chasing a hot um, trend, right? By the time you figured out that this is a hot trend, like, so is everybody else. Um, it, it's, it's sort of the efficient you know, market hypothesis for ideas and, and startup ideas, like where just, and I've seen, I've seen companies do this time and time again, especially in AI, where they just say start an AI company and, you know, even with a slide deck managed to convince VCs to give them lots of money and, uh, you know, and then on they go. But inevitably, these companies run into challenges because they haven't, they haven't dived into the problem that they're trying to solve at a fundamental level. And unless you have like a first principles uh, baseline for understanding the problem you're trying to solve or having a problem to solve period, which is a different question. A lot of people just don't have a problem to solve and they just sprinkle AI dust all over things and, you know, expect magic to happen. But, um, you know, I think that's, it's just what separates, uh, you know, the winners from the losers in this and probably every other category. Like, if you know, if you look at the Gardner hype cycle, for example, right? Like most people, when things are at the very top of the hype cycle, that's when like everybody seems to jump in for whatever reason. And then, mm. you know, you go through the trough of disillusionment. And actually the trough of disillusionment is when you probably want to start getting into the space because it clears out all the clutter and all the uh, wannabes and, and um, you know, so, but yeah, I mean, I would say our bet was maybe contrarian in the eyes of, data scientists or people who had sort of a peripheral understanding of the problem. But for us, it was just a no brainer to, to solve this problem. It's like, uh, because without this problem, it, it nothing else would follow. It's just like kind of almost a tautology in that sense where it's like, if, unless you've established foundation, you literally can't go any further. And so we just, we realized like just due to like the pure physics of the situation, we were probably going to be right. Um, notwithstanding, um, you know, the, the thing that might get in your way in the, in the short term is 
you know, if you have a, a contrarian opinion, you, you know, it's the old Keynes saying like the market could stay crazier, you know, longer than you can say solvent. And it's the same thing with trying a business idea where the, um, the amount of hype surrounding a, a certain uh, sector or an idea or industry might be so, uh, it, it just, it, this might be too loud and too noisy uh, for you to really um, make a dent with your idea. So in that case, you just got to keep persisting if you know you're right. Because I mean, there's a lot of well-funded marketing departments given a lot of VC money that will be spouting a lot of, um, a lot of everything trying to convince you that their view of the world is correct. But I think, if, again, if you just understand first principles and the, the baseline of the situation, like um, you'll, that, that sets you up for success, but it takes a lot of work. There's not a shortcut to get there. Yeah, absolutely. I, I completely agree that it does take a lot of work. And you know what you mentioned specifically with AI, you know, people sprinkling the AI fairy dust on there. But I mean, that involves, that is business in general. You see it all the time of people like, oh, yeah. this is, I'm getting in at the peak. And you know what, here's my secret sauce. And they're just, timing really it does play a huge part into starting any business, really. Big time. Timing, luck. Luck's a big part of it. Timing's a huge part of it. Yeah, because it's like, um, you know, when we were working on AutoML back in the day, uh, I would say like, you know, some of the approaches we're, we're taking were probably too early. And being early is as good as being wrong. You know, so timing, like you say, is it's, uh, it's a big piece of it. Um, or just being around long enough where you get your timing. It's kind of like surfing. Like, there's always waves, but you, you got to be out in the water. Um, that's the only way you're going to catch a wave. So Yeah. For sure. And that speaks to a, a lot of the people, the, you know, the high performing individuals that I speak to that, you know what, they have their, their purpose and their idea and their why, and they just keep going no matter what, no matter what the market says, they keep going towards it. And you know what, they eventually do catch that wave or they do see that breakthrough, but it takes a lot of work to get to that point and a lot of opposition. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's also, you know, you gotta, you gotta question yourself too sometimes and ask, okay, so, you know, I, I mean, I still reassess my assumptions because maybe the world's changed, you know, the, so it's, you gotta also take the opposite approach where you can't too stubbornly believe that you're correct. Um, because the, the ground may have changed on you as well. Like, uh, you know, if you're running Kodak, I mean, that's a classic example. I mean, the, the, the ground had shifted with them, uh, you know, from underneath them and they were still, hell bent on doing this idea over here. And, and so you, I think you always got to, you know, you, you have to understand your first principles, but understand that, that, that uh, your first principles, especially as things move faster in this world, they, um, they might be irrelevant. Um, that's just kind of how it goes because there might be new innovations that come along and just completely swamp what you're trying to do. And so you always want to balance that. And I think the other recognition too, is like, you know, uh, a broken clock is right twice a day. Right. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, so you want to make sure that you're not mistaking like the timing uh, of your success for maybe just the fact that you just got lucky and certain things are happening to your fortune right now. And that may not be the case in like even a month or two months from now, let alone a few years. So it's, it, I think you have got to have humility and questioning yourself a lot, not second guessing per se, but at least just asking honest questions. Like, is this, or are we, is the world that we thought, um, is what we thought the world should be like, is it still that way or things change? But uh, those are hard questions to ask. I think a lot of people tend to be delusional and just oh, not yeah. do that. So. 
<laughs> and that's where outside consulting can help you and whatnot. But um, like you said, uh, humility, humility is a huge aspect of that. And even though you've been involved in data for 20 years, it's evolved what you're doing. You know, what you like what you're doing with ternary is completely different than what you were doing in initially with analytics um, mm-hmm. from the get go. So even though you still have that, you know, underlying data uh, background that has evolved. So like Kodak, for example, did never evolved past what, what their wave was. And although I guess they're making like pharmaceutical drugs now or something. So I don't <laughs> yes. know. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was, that was kind of out of, out of left field there, but yeah, it's, it's the world we live in. You can't be surprised anymore. <laughs> so, so the question is, if you, um, if you went against the grain, you knew ternary wasn't going to be what everybody saw the future as, and you know the it's coming around to that. But what was a challenge that you never expected with ternary? Um, that's a good question. The um, I think the challenge were really our initial assumptions about how we'd run the business. So, I mean, we started out as a, uh, uh, you know, kind of the traditional services firm, right? Like we'd come in and charge hourly and we'd do kind of button shares model um, and, you know, sit there clacking away on a keyboard and and doing like engineering work. Um, And I would say we're good at doing that. But what what we realized was, is once you touch a keyboard, especially if you're like a software engineer, like, the software engineers of the company that hired you actually hate your guts for the most part because they see you as like a higher paid competitor to their job. And the person who hired you can't wait to get you out because you're just expensive. And, and so we realized like the, the, the approach that we take um, needed to be rethought. And so instead of coming in as uh, basically a keyboard warrior, um, you know, engineer, we, we realized like, well, why don't we just provide consulting? Like, a consulting company would do. I mean, this isn't a new idea. There's mm-hmm. been countless books written on the topic and there's some really good, uh, like Jonathan Stark has a great podcast pitching hourly on this, which I think after listening to that, I, I thought, yeah, okay, I, I get it. This the approach we're on is it's viable, but now you're just lumped in with like all these other consulting fir- or services firms. Um, and so we don't want to do that. So we changed our approach. Uh, so that was the first thing what we realized we were completely, um, I wouldn't say wrong, but it felt wrong for us. It felt wrong for us because we just didn't like the work. Uh, we didn't like what we were doing. Like I just felt like I had a job, actually. Right. You know. Now, now I just get paid by you know, uh, it's a ten ninety nine instead of a, an employee. But for the most part, it's it's still a job, and you still got to deal with the company's politics that you're working at and all this other stuff. And we're just like this is mm-hmm. that's so. Let's try. I think what we realized is let's try and optimize for our happiness and the customer's happiness. Like, what's going to make a customer happy? Uh, a customer is going to be happy when you come and help them solve problems. Uh, and an engineering team is going to feel happy when they feel empowered to solve those problems on their own. And so the approach that we took, we flipped, the, we inverted the, the, um, the, the model we were doing and said, okay, so we're going to come in and advise, uh, you know, CTOs, CEOs uh, on, on strategy. And then we'll coach uh, their teams on how to do the work themselves and actually work ourselves out of a job. Uh, the value behind that is, um, now we're viewed as being allies uh, for everybody, all the stakeholders, 
and we're getting them to where they need to go in a way that they can um, have longevity and um, you know eventually stop paying us, which is you know, surprisingly a model that that's uh, that we like and works really well for them. So once we adopted that, I would say uh, the business um, changed for the better. Like uh, you know, I feel better about uh, just waking up every day and doing the work I do and. Um, yeah, and I think the customers uh, just feel a lot better about the approach. So, yeah, absolutely. I think you. I'm glad you brought that up because you know, looking into Ternary before uh, we we talked and whatnot, I I noticed that I noticed that you stood out by working yourself out of a job. Like it, it clearly states that, and I'm like, wow, that's a really unique approach because most most companies are let's get on there let's get on with this company and let's just keep coming up with new ideas on how we need to stay with this company and so Mm -hmm. we can keep getting the money you know and it's just a a unique approach that helps you stand out but then also like you said makes it seem like you're their ally and you really you are but there's there's a lot to the perception side of things Um, big time we realized we wanted to maximize because when we started, we, we, you know, some companies want to maximize for money and uh, well, maximize top line revenue or, or, you know, gross profit or whatever. And what we, we realized that actually maximizing uh, reputational capital and building a giant pile of reputation uh, is worth more uh, to your bank account than the money itself. The mo- if, you, if you can build a, a stockpile of reputation uh, by doing good work and people love you, um, you know, customers will rave about you and, and recommend you to their friends. Uh, to us, that felt like a more sustainable path in the medium to long term. Um, and the money would follow. It was our, you know, supposition, and, and, and it has the because I think as you point out, we we could have taken the approach where we just go into a company and just embed ourselves and become like a barnacle, right, and just mm-hmm. be more impossible to remove or a zit or something. But um, <laughs> like. We decided, you know, let's, just, let's, let's not take that approach. It's, you know, there's enough companies out there that need our help. Let's not get, you know, if um, let's just figure out how we can help this particular company with this use case. Um, you know, and I, I think let the chips fall where they where they want. I mean, we could certainly optimize for maximizing the number of hours for our company, but we actually want to shorten that duration as much as possible and provide maximum value. And, um you know, we found that that actually works great because customers repeatedly want to keep working with us for, for new stuff because they, they trust us. They, they know we're not going to try and like rip them off. And especially in the data industry, it's like a lot of other hot industries. There's, a, I think, a fair number of fly-by-night charlatan types that are in the industry and, you know, give the industry the best name. So our, our approach is to just do the opposite. So Yeah, and I love the way... I love the way you said that. Sorry to cut you off there, but I I love the way you said that the reputation stockpile, like that is absolutely key, especially now where you can search anything about any company. You can find out, you know, all the skeletons in the closet where with that reputation stockpile, all you're doing is just building up a support team of people who will rally around you and good reviews and you know all those things that you're basically mitigating your risk there and i think also um you're removing the scapegoat too by being there to empower the engineers because usually if there's an outside 
firm that comes in, they do the work. Well, it doesn't work exactly the way that it it's supposed to because you don't have company buy-in or employee right. buy-in or things like that. You're you're letting them do the work, do the actual work. You're just you know coaching them how to go through it, and that helps remove you as the scapegoat of you know ternary didn't do a good job when in actuality it was you know the engineer that didn't execute on the plan yeah it removes a lot of the uh kind of the finger pointing and back and forth right so that's that's a problem that plagues a lot of um it just plagues like the customer uh you know relationship in general i'd say in, in a lot of different types of transactions whether it's what we do or a lot of other companies and so i think just uh, you know, removing one point of blame is always a good thing. Um, you know, but at the same time, taking accountability and making sure we we do support and coach the teams correctly and how they should be doing stuff. So, like, you know, we're not they don't come and say, "Oh, well, you know, you taught us how to do it wrong, and now here we are." So, you know, but we also guarantee our work. So it's like if anything's wrong, we just make it right, and that's it. So, um, but you know, I got the idea for the reputational capital thing from uh, was it? so like Warren Buffett's. Um, at the Berkshire shareholder meetings before he goes on, he has a video that he shows all of his uh, um, directors and uh, CEOs of the companies that he oversees. And mm-hmm. it's the, uh, the old video from the, the Solomon congressional hearing. So Buffett used to run uh, Solomon brothers back in the day and they got into some hot water for some um, unethical behavior. And I think it, he summed it up by saying like, you know, uh, lose a shred of a, or yeah, lose money for the firm and I'll be understanding, but lose a shred of reputation and I'll be ruthless. Um, and so that always stuck with me. It's like, you know, cause that, that's basically Berkshire's um, employee handbook, by the way, it's like a couple of sentences. <laughs> so just make sure that your behavior isn't going to be, you know, something you're not proud of if it's displayed and on the, you know, on the news or something. So, and that always stuck with me. And I think it's just a good, good rule to go by. Like as long as you're, let's say doing work that you're, uh, you know, happy about and and feel good about, and your customer, you know, feels like they're being treated fairly, and that's, um, I think it's a good way to be. I mean, doing the opposite and just trying to rip everybody off is, I think, a uh, not a good idea. Especially as you point out, this day where you can find out everything about people, it's there's no secrets. Yep, absolutely. And <laughs> I think you, um, you kind of hit the nail on the head there of you can see through those kind of things. Like you're doing the work that you actually love. People can sense that people can feel that, uh, if you're, you know, meeting them, they can tell if you really are passionate about your work or if you're just chasing the buck now. I mean, it's Mm -hmm. easy before it was easy to hide behind multiple layers of things on. and, And then now it's, it's just so simple to be able to see through that. So it is important to, to work on something that you are truly passionate about, something that you can see yourself doing in 20 years or uh, whatever yeah. the case may be. And that's what I'd say to your audience too. Uh, you know, it, it's because there's, there's a lot of people out there who want to start businesses, right? And and at the end of the day, you know, it's, it's a very wealthy person told me once when I asked him, how, how do you make a lot of money? He's like, well, sell something that people want to buy. Um, I was like, hmm, just that easy, huh? <laughs> so, but you know, he he, he figured out, you know, I, I mean, it's 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 pretty basic. But at the same time, uh, you need you're going to be working on this on solving these problems um, of figuring out what a customer wants to buy, for example, right? And then then selling it to them. 
And so you better make sure that what you're uh, selling and how you're doing it is something that you can go to bed at night feeling good about. I mean, and not, you know, I mean, you, you should preferably design your business around, uh, you know, yourself in a lot of ways and obviously your customer, but like, you know, what, it's, if you're just trying to chase like the latest fads, um, I think that's, that's a road to, you're going to get, if you get, if, you, if you're successful, it's because you got lucky, uh, not because you uh, were genius or, or anything like that. And, but, it, but you got to, you know, more more than likely you're going to be just grinding away at a business for a while. And so you got to really like, a, what, like what you're doing because um, it's a lot of hard work. Everything is going to take about 10 times longer than you think it does. Uh, and so you got to have, um, you know, you got to be working on something that you actually enjoy because if you're working on something you don't enjoy, you're going to give up in about like a week. So, which is totally fine. You should do that. Don't <laughs> spend a lot of time on something you're not stoked about. Right. So. <laughs> well, I can definitely speak to that because right now I, I finally have my uh, powder drink focus mix thing that I've been working on for three years that I thought was going to take nice. me three months. So it's, it's something that I truly enjoy, enjoyed working on and whatnot. But uh, like That's you cool. said, it takes 10 times longer than anyone really expects to do, uh, expects it to be. And so you've got to be in it for the long haul. And well, I mean, let me, let me flip the, let me flip the yeah. interview around then. I mean, cause it's like, what got you, what made you, um, stick with that idea for that long? Yeah. So great question. It's, uh, it's something that I personally experienced a pain point of, you know, I was working a regular job. I wanted to, uh, I want to have my own thing, my own company. And I've had several throughout the years, but at this point in time, I didn't have the idea. I didn't have the thing I was working on. I didn't, and I just kind of felt lost. Um, but when I'd get an idea, I'd start working on, I get home from my job and, you know, I've got kids, I've got a wife, you know, I've got responsibilities and it's, so hard to stay focused on something even after, you know, everybody's in bed. It's hard to stay focused on something and have the energy to accomplish that task. And, you know, I talked to several other people and, you know, they were experiencing the same kind of pain points when they were working on their side hustle, trying to get out of their nine to five. And it was, it's taken several different forms. The originally it was supposed to be a gummy, um, and been through de several different manufacturers and different ideas and the ve the vehicles changed, but the idea has always stayed the same because it's something that I experienced. And fortunately now I'm in a position where I don't have a traditional nine to five and I can work on things that I'm passionate about, but having that focus has always been crucial to that. So I'm trying to help those people that experience the same pain points that I did uh, you know, when you're in the nine to five, trying to escape that. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. Yeah. Good for you. I'll have to try some of it when it's, uh, when it's on the market. So yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's awesome. Good for you. That's cool. And yeah, it, it's, it's tough because the, uh, the nine to five, um, yeah, especially when you got other commitments, right. It's like mm -hmm. you have a finite amount of time and you also need to sleep. I mean, Right. <laughs> I mean, in, in theory, right. I, 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 despite what a lot of like, you know, kind of the, uh, uh the, there's a certain type of like hustle literature where it's like, Oh, just don't sleep and just stay up 
right. all night and then don't get any sleep at all. And I'm like, yeah, I don't, I don't know. Anyway, I used to subscribe to that, I think, um, to some degree, but, uh, um, I, I like holding on to whatever few brain cells I have left these days. So mm-hmm. <laughs> sleep, sleep's good in that regard, but, but yeah, it's tough though. Right. Cause it's, it's, it's a, it's a time management thing too, or, um, you just, you know, if you want to do something, you got to make the time for it. And like with your hustle, right? it's like, there's, if you want to do it, you, you got to figure out a way. Yeah. That's, it's, it's easy. It's easy to say, and it's hard to do. Absolutely. And, and I like that you, I like you mentioned, you know, your definition of hustle has kind of changed over the years. And I think that's, everybody has realized you can't just burn the candle at both ends over a long period of time because you're just going to experience fatigue. And you're, like you said, you're not going to be holding on to those brain cells. Uh, there is a lot of, a lot of studies that show, you know, you're more efficient after gaining six, seven, eight hours of sleep, you know, things like that rather mm-hmm. than two to four hours. So, yeah, you just feel like crap. And, and you know, so what I, I found the thing that I, that works best for me, my version of hustle right now is get decent sleep, get exercise every day, but then you don't have to do a lot to be effective, right? You gotta, it's a matter of focusing on the right things. So my, my, I'll have like a, a list of like the one or two top priorities that you get done for the day. And if you can get those two things done, then you can attack your giant to-do list of just stuff. That's probably, you know, you'll, you'll, we eat through that at some point or probably never after something's been on the list for like maybe three to six months, it just goes away. Cause at that point you're never going to get to it. Right. Um, but I think it's just, it, you know, and I found too, just prioritizing the night before, um, what you're going to get done for the next day helps. And then actually planning out the week as well. So that you have an idea of, okay, so here's like the cadence, here's what needs to get done. And just simple things like that. Um, or I would say, that works for my workflow. Um, mm-hmm. For other people, it may not, but I find by doing less, you actually do more. So, because yeah. nothing worse than having like a bunch of projects that are about seventy percent done. That sucks. So yes, <laughs> absolutely. So what you said kind of remind me of uh, a book I read earlier this year called "The One Thing" by Gary Keller, where you know you focus on the one thing that's going to help move your company forward. And that's all you need to focus on that day. If you accomplish that one thing, great. Then you can move on to the other things. But your most important thing is to tackle that one thing. So like like you said, tackling those one or two things, that's that should be the priority. And also be efficient. Like, you know, I, I would say increasingly now that we have, I think, a more stable business model, it makes sense to start hiring, right? And so like take hats off and give them to other people. Like that is at a certain point, that's literally your job is to start taking hats off your head and like handing them off to people so they can do their job, just delegate and then automate. That's the other piece. I mean, you have so much good technology out there right now. Um, I would first look at automating what you're trying to do and see if there's a way to do that. And if you can't, then hire somebody, but automation is usually going to be cheaper. So, yeah. uh, but it just allows you, I mean, the, the less, the, the more time you can spend, I think actually, and, and this is a bit counterintuitive, but I would say that, if you can set aside some time to actually spend thinking on thinking about your business and um, being strategic, that's the other piece. Cause I think it's too common to be um, super tactical and just focusing on the getting things done part, but mm-hmm. um, you know, allowing yourself some time, whether it's a day, I always set aside Fridays for thinking days and strategy days that we don't take meetings on those days typically. Um, and it's really just, um, you know, spent writing 
and uh, reading and actually mm -hmm. thinking about the business. Because I think if you don't invest enough mental cycles into where you want to go as a business, you're you're going to be fighting this. Um, uh, you know, you're just going to be putting out a thousand different fires, and that that becomes your job, and that kind of sucks right. too. And, and so, um, you know, think being a lot more thoughtful and um, intentional about your time, uh, I think, is also something that people should try and adopt. It would it would it would make for better businesses. Mm -hmm. so. For sure. And you know, speaking to what you were saying, that having your Fridays where you have your thinking thinking time and creativity and whatnot, I think. Every works different for everybody. You know, some people like writing and whatnot. My, me personally, I find getting outside, removing myself from the mm -hmm. situation, from technology, just being outside makes a huge difference and being able to tap into that side where I can be like, okay, what's, what's some of the more bigger picture things that I need to be focusing on rather than what is this line item fire? Like you just said, you know, you have to put out. So yeah, I mean that those fires will be there when you get back. Um, yes, <laughs> you know, and it's like some fires, uh, they're just more like a candle, um, and that's just how it is. So, I mean, you, like I said, some some things are emergencies. You got to take care of them. Don't get me wrong. Right. But those those the true emergencies, I, I think if you're if you're a lot more intentional, if you can unplug the the number of emergencies you have, um, actually goes down because you got to remember emergencies are typically it isn't because something happened like right now. It's because a mistake was probably made um, a while ago that caused this problem to happen and it's emergency all of a sudden. I mean, obviously there's certain things like pandemics that are true emergencies and they'll just sort of spawn out of or earthquakes like we had, but like that's, mm -hmm. those things are out of your control. Most of the emergencies you deal with in your business are usually your fault actually. Um, and that usually comes from like you ignoring something. So that's yeah. just kind of how it is. So. Yeah, absolutely true. And you know what, those, being like you said, going back to being intentional. I mean, if you are just kind of haphazardly, you know, throwing stuff out there, trying to get stuff done, you open yourself up to those mistakes that mm -hmm. lead in that snowball into those, uh, emergencies, like you said. So, yeah. um, <laughs> the one, one question though, is what do you think your biggest failure was, uh, when you started ternary and what did you learn from that? Um, I can't think of too many outstanding failures I've had of ternary so far. Uh, I'm not going to, I mean, I hope I have some, uh, actually. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> you, you, you need, you need a good uh, moment of doubt to, to make sure you're, uh, on the right path. I would say another, another ventures I'd, I'd done in the past, I think it, the biggest failures were, um, I would say giving up too early. Uh, and you know, which is, you know, the flip side is just not being persistent enough. Uh, and so, you know, cause I, you know, I had a 95 and like, Oh, I'll do this project and see where it goes. And, you know, but it's, it's, you just got to put in the, the cycles and recognize that things aren't going to happen as quickly as you want. I think if you can get past timelines, for example, and just focus on the process, um, just grinding out day in and day out like that that's when I think I started having success. It was, it was when I started setting expectations, like artificial constraints, right? Like the, the customer doesn't care because you don't even have customers at that point. So like, what does it matter? But you're setting all these artificial deadlines. And, and I think that was realizing that I, I was actually the, the um, my behavior. And I think my short sightedness was uh, the reason that I had failed, um, you know, and cause it, it disallowed the, the opportunity to focus. Um, in, a, in a true sense 
on solving the problem that a customer might have. Like that to me is like, you know, but I think just through going through that um, a few times, you know, those are, that's, those are the big failures, but I would say those were also the, that, that's the necessary tuition you have to pay. Um, you know, it's, 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 it's very rare that you're going to have a, an immediate success. I mean, you're not going to be Mark Zuckerberg probably. Right. right. Um, and Lord, Lord knows that he's having a lot of issues ongoing with running mm-hmm. his company. It's not like he just, you know, like IPO Facebook and the rest was history and his life was just great. I mean, he's right. It's, it's, it's a constant, uh, crap storm for that guy. So, I mean, <laughs> you know, but he, he's learning, he's having failures and still learning too. And I think that's just kind of how we all are. Like, I, I know that, you know, inevitably just statistically failures are going to happen uh, for yeah. myself, for, for you and for everybody else listening to this uh, and not listening to this. Cause that's just how life goes. I think if you can take more of a kind of a, a yin yang approach to things and detach from outcomes, um, you know, to me that helps. Like I, I try not to get too attached to, um, outcomes anymore just because i've uh i've met um utter joy and utter disappointment and i i actually get creeped out by both of them if i'm too happy that's not a good sign either because it means i'm going to start taking my eye off the ball so yeah i say by trying to stay pretty neutral about stuff and i think pretty um pretty even keeled that uh tends to be uh, at least where i've noticed where i've had the best balance of success and failure because at that point um, even if you do have failure, you're able to learn from it and maybe not consider it a failure. So, yeah, because it's probably as much perception as anything, honestly, like, Absolutely. you know, um, you know, if you, if you look at some people, like they, they, their whole day is just a walking disaster. Cause it's like, everything just goes wrong in their life apparently. But then you step back and you're like, I don't know what you're talking about, but right. you stub your toe and then, you know, you, you know, something bad happened. Um, you know, in, in your perception, right? But mm-hmm. but if you step back and look at it, maybe it's not so bad. So I think it's as much as your ability to deal with failure is maybe another aspect of that question. So, but the attachment's big for me. So maybe maybe I failed a bunch actually, and I just don't know it. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, I I've definitely lived those days where you know it it feels like one thing goes wrong after another, and if I do detach, it it's really not that bad. Um, the process. But, yeah, that's that's the reason I asked that question in that order, though, is what is what was your biggest failure and what did you learn from it? I want to focus on the learning from it because, I mean, yeah, you can sit there and think of how awful things were. But if you don't focus on the learning side of it, you're never going to get over that failure. It's always going to be there in the back of your head. Oh, I failed. I, I'm you're going to carry that with you. If you take it as a learning experience, you're going to move forward. You're going to learn from that. And then when the next failure happens, you'll already have some tools in your toolbox to help you get through that one. Yeah. You know, again, I always, always talk about Buffett. Cause he's one of the people I most look up to. Um, but you know, where he was saying like somebody asked him his key to success and he was saying, well, it's not, we're not necessarily the smartest guys around or we're actually kind of dumb. Um, but what's made it successful is we just become less ignorant over time. So, you know, what, what, what he meant by that was if you just, every day is a new learning experience. You're going to like microscopically, microscopically chip away at like, you know, the amount of ignorance that you have, and you're just going to be able to see things differently. If you're paying attention, I would say if, if you're just repeating the same mistake over and over, then yeah, you're probably never going to learn and you're going to get the <laughs> appropriate result. So, right. But, uh, you know, it just takes time. Like there's not going to be some grand revelation that you have. Uh, maybe you will, but it's probably unlikely, but it's just going to be more like over time. You just, 
the uh, the veil is sort of you know lifted from your eyes. And so, but yeah, I mean, but again, everyone's constantly learning, and even successful people, like I say, no matter how successful, you you, you still come into new types of failure all the time. I mean, look what look at COVID did to the economy. I mean, all these successful companies. Um, there's a lot of formerly successful companies that are now going out of business. It's like a mass extinction event. And yeah. I think we're only getting started on that because what worked then doesn't work now. And if you're saddled with a lot of debt or you're exposed, then you're done. That's how that is. And so like, but you know, back in February or January, that would have been the appropriate scenario for, you know, at that time. But so yeah, it's tough. And it's tough to say that, oh, you just detach from that. Like once your company goes up in flames, like, yeah, <laughs> but it is what it is. Yeah. So, it sucks. But, yeah. That's, that's definitely, I, I think uh, a big challenge for, you know, pretty much all companies now, but it gives you a chance to, you know, rethink things, uh, become more lean, become more efficient and, you know, get rid of some of that, uh, that wasted time. And I mean, I've spoken to a lot of people who are, you know, remote working now and they realize now how much time they were wasting at the water cooler, how much time they were, you know, wasting going out to lunch and, you know, they can be a lot more efficient now. So it's, it's, I think helping teach some of those companies that, um, that make their way through this, that they can be more efficient with what they have, uh, already. So, Oh yeah. And you know, what, what the pandemic is, it pulled the future forward uh, for a lot of scenarios and for good and bad, I would say, but for the good, there's, you know, for people listening who are wanting to start businesses, I would say there's a lot of new opportunities right now. And there's a lot of opportunities that are hidden in plain sight that nobody's thought of yet. Um, and now is the time to maybe take the contrary and bet. Uh, whereas in the past, you know, sort of the uh, rules of the game were the rules of the game. Um, now, uh, people I think are trying to figure out what the rules of the game are because uh, things have changed and we're not going back to the old right. days. I don't care. There's, there's some people like, Oh, I can't wait for things to get back to normal. And like there's, it's, it's not going to happen. There's whatever you thought was normal, which was kind of weird back then too, is, is not, <laughs> uh, it's, 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 you're not going back there. So, but the nice thing is in times like this, you have the chance to, help write the new playbook, whatever that ends up being. Um, this, you know, in times of like utter disarray and chaos, uh, um, you should be looking to thrive in this moment. Uh, don't look at it as a, as a negative thing, although it can be, and it certainly mm -hmm. is in some circuit, some, some, some ways. It's also a great opportunity to go um, start a business, uh, you know, and use the challenges and constraints in front of you to build a great business. Like, yeah, capital, getting access to capital right now, it ain't easy, um, mm -hmm. but that's going to force you to be scrappy. Uh, and maybe force you to build a good company versus in the old days, a few years ago, even and up to, you know, for COVID, it was like, you could start a pretty crappy company by just getting a lot of funding from VCs and, and away you go. But just because you get money, it doesn't mean you have a good company. It just means you've got money. So, right. you know, now you don't have that luxury. And now you, if you're going to do a business, you better make sure it's making money. Absolutely. Uh, one. So but yeah, and those companies are going to survive. Yeah, yeah. There's those. There's two things that you said there that really stuck out to me. Is you know now's a great time to start a business, and if you look at you know some of the famous stories of people who disrupt in, disrupted industries, um, started in a recession like 
Airbnb, Uber, you know, things like that, where they completely changed what the industry was, rethought everything, and they, you know, started at what traditionally may be uh, the the worst time, but really, ideally, it's the best time. Uh, and you know what? They may not have always ha- had the best uh, plan forward for making money, um, but that speaks to the other point is I, I look at some of my friends who are programmers, and all they do is they jump from whoever got the new VC money to the next mm. company that got the VC money that has, you know, the ping pong tables and the, all the free food that you can have. And, you know, the, all the perks basically that they start slowly taking away as they realize, Hey, we're not getting more funding. And so they jump ship to the next one that just got funding. It's just a revolving door of people moving around the, you know, the Silicon slopes here of, um, you know, jumping from one VC to a next uh, VC back to company to a next, uh, because they don't have those principles in place necessarily. Mm-hmm. And yeah, guilty as charged. I've done the same thing. I, you know, as an engineer, I moved to other VC back companies and that's, um, you know, the musical chairs gets, gets a bit exhausting after a bit. I mean, you can only play so much ping pong and drink so much yeah. <laughs> Red Bull before, uh, it all kind of goes, it all sort of blends together. Um, you know, and, and then, and, you know, always in the back of, you know, when I was in those experiences, always in the back of my mind, it was like, well, am I going to go, when am I going to go do my business? You know, because that's always like the thing that's, that's and nagging at you. It's like, you know, I can, I can sit here, uh, you know, boosting the valuation of this company for the shareholders and the, and the founders, and I make it like a tiny sliver, and that's great. Um, but when it, you know, I, I know for me personally, I would, when I was at those kind of places, I just sit there like, well, okay, so and these companies, really aren't that much farther along than I am. Like, mm-hmm. why don't I just go do this on my own? And so I eventually just did it. You know, I just, uh, the last place I was at was in 2017. And I just like, well, I, I think it's time for me just to, you know, actually start doing my own thing. And they were actually, you know, and it was kind of funny. They're actually my first client. <laughs> like, oh, wow. I jumped ship. Yes. Yeah, so they just hired me as a contractor for a bit. And um, that's before I started Ternary, but, that at least, uh, you know, allowed, uh, allowed me to get my uh, bearings. And, you know, we still have a good relationship to uh, that company. So, um, you know, I would say also, if you plan to leave, like make sure you leave on good terms, unless you have a very good reason to uh, uh, start a gigantic, um, you know, ammonium nitrate <laughs> fire on your way out. Yeah. So, <laughs> like, uh, but, you know, the, the, the world's a small place. The, the valley around Salt Lake is a really small place. and Other valleys, other places are really small too. And, um, you know, again, it's about reputational capital. Like, you know, you, you can, uh, you know, you, I know too many people who have, uh, done things to their reputations. It's, it's really hard to crawl back from, uh, certain things. So the best bet is to just try and be on good terms. Obviously there are some cases where it's impossible. Um, mm-hmm. you know, that's just, that's reality, but, uh, you know, as much as you can just try and optimize for that. Uh, and, make the jump, but do it in a smart way. Um, make sure you have money. <laughs> like, everything's everything's going to take 10 times longer than you think. So, and like, once you leave that paycheck, uh, that's, uh, that ain't coming back, you know? And so, you know, maybe try and work as much as you can if possible under your, uh, employer's agreements, obviously. Um, mm-hmm. you know, some employers won't let you work on side projects, but, um, you know, try and get as much done as you can. Like the other thing I would say too is, um, as part of this tangent is, uh, 
you know, build your audience and build your fans before you leave, um, you know, build your network. Uh, it's, it's, it's a cold start problem. So you may as well start building your network. And I don't think there's anything in an employer agreement that says you can't uh, build your network and your audience. Mm-hmm. So, you know, go out there and blog, uh, write content, make content, um, get to know people, go to meetups like that. Your network is single-handedly your most valuable asset apart from your reputation. And the two are pretty much intertwined. So, you know, that's, that's part of my advice is don't just like jump ship. I mean, I've done that before and I've been like, well, that was a horrible idea. I guess I'll go back to a job now. Yeah. The number one thing is everything, everything takes longer than you think it is. Yeah. That's, that's how it goes. So, yep. but have fun along the way. So. Absolutely. Well, I don't want to take too much of your time. This has honestly been a fascinating conversation, but um, before I give you a chance to uh, plug where to find you and more about your company, I would just want to ask you, personal or business, what is it that excites you about the future? Um, I would say that uh, if you were to ask me this before COVID, I would say, um, you know, the uh, there's a lot of cool stuff I would say happening at an exponentially faster rate uh, day by day. So new technological advances. Um, you know, I think the world's becoming a smaller place. And uh, I think despite the pandemic and the bad stuff short term, I think some great things are going to come out of COVID. I think the um, people are going to work smarter. Um, I think relationships may change for the better. I mean, hopefully people do some soul searching and find out what's useful to them and what's, you know, what they, what they really want to do. Like I hope people just find purpose. Um, so that's, that's what I'm excited for. I think, uh, you know, it's, uh, there's a, there's a lot of people out there just drifting along, kind of just going through the motions and phoning it in, you know, in life. And I hope that, um, you know, this, uh, these, these events are, um, hopefully helping people sort of reassess, you know, where they want to be, you know, um, you know, now and in the future. So, so that's, mm-hmm. that's my hope. So. Yeah. I, I, I think that's fantastic because I mean, you see some people who are, you know, still using, whatever they can as a crutch as to why they are not uh, at a certain point in their life. And I, I've also seen people who have taken the step back and said, Oh, okay, this has been a great time for me to figure things out. And I mean, even a few months into this, you can see the difference between those, those individuals. I mean, it's, it's impressive to see what a little soul searching can do. Mm-hmm. It reminds me of the, uh, so talking with the um, old CEO of Under Armour, it was Wayne Marino, I think it was a while ago. And he, uh, at Under Armour, he said they have a really interesting uh, slogan, uh, no loser talk. Um, and what that means is, regardless of whatever economic environment you're in, whether you're in a you know, boom time or whether you're in the, the absolute you know, economic dumps like we are now, like, you don't use the economy as an excuse, right? You can find how whatever crutches you want to make up an excuse about why you aren't where you, you want to be. But look, everyone's playing in the same playing field right now, mm-hmm. right? Like we're, we're all in a pretty crappy economy, but I, I think, you, you know, the people who can stop making excuses and just go out there and, and figure it out, um, you know, and grind it out. Like those are the people who are going to go out there and, and win, um, you know, when you have the, when you when you have a pair of crutches and those crutches are literally just lit on fire and you don't have them anymore, then yeah, you'll figure out what to do pretty quick because right. you have to, and that's kind of what just happened. So, mm-hmm. so yeah, yeah, I totally agree. So. Yeah. 
Well, I want to say thank you for taking time out of your day. I know you're a busy guy. You've got a lot going on, but I, I first and foremost, thank you. But where's the best place for people to find more information about you and your company? Yeah. So you go to uh, turnarydata.com. It's a uh, turnary, uh, T E R N A R Y data.com. Um, I also blog at josephreese.com and you can find me on LinkedIn. I actually got rid of all my other social media except for LinkedIn. So um, I'm pretty easy to find these days. Perfect. Uh, yeah, just search Joe Reese or Joseph Reese. I can't remember what name I'm in, but yeah. Uh, yeah, feel free to add me, send me a um, message to the, either of those sites and uh, happy to talk. So, okay. Awesome. Thanks, Greg. It's been yeah. fun. Yeah, thank you. Um, I know I've gotten a ton of value out of this, so I know my audience has gotten a ton of value out of this. So I encourage you all to get out there and hustle the day.